0: You're listening to Living Healthy Longer by the Columbine Health Systems Center for Healthy Aging. Hi, everyone. On today's episode, we have a really interesting interview with Dr. Lisa Youngblade. She is the Dean of the College of Health and Human Sciences at CSU, and her background is in human development and family studies. She is a lifespan developmental scientist whose research centers on childhood and adolescent experiences. So, naturally, in our conversation, we talk about the impact of experiences that happen to us in early life, as well as decisions we can make as we age that will help us live longer and healthier. Dean Youngblade also served as the interim director of the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging when it was established. So the second half of our conversation is dedicated to understanding the history of aging research at CSU. I hope you enjoy. I'm your host, Hannah Hallisker, and this is Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging at Colorado State University. Well hello, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for agreeing to be on this episode and to have this conversation with me. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. So I think a, a nice place to get started is just to, you know, dive into the story that you wanted to tell, but the
1: story about, you know, plasticity and lifespan development. As I started thinking about, um, you know, that what introduces us to the topic of aging, I started reflecting on growing up in brooklyn and as a young girl lived in brooklyn um it was in the late 60s um, like many of the people in our neighborhood we lived in apartments and didn't have yards um, and so children congregated in the street and we played in the street and um, i remember very vividly my uncle carl and my aunt clara coming to visit us and they were older uh, aunts and an older aunt and uncle uh gray hair um you know looked more like grandparents probably stereotypical grandparents and an aunt and uncle but whenever they would drive up all the kids would congregate around the car and ask my aunt clara if uncle carl could come out and play and so she would say always yes she would walk in very stiff gait gated um uh you know again looking more typically like a grandparent he would pull off his jacket unloosen his tie and start pitching stick uh you know pitching to us in stickball games or competing with us in ro- you know races down the street um or playing dodgeball or whatever a kid would do and as i thought about it i i have reflected on how two people at the very same age who you might expect to look and act in much the same ways, acted in very different ways, and were responded to in, diff- in very different ways. Um, so, so interesting to me that children would not see the obvious stereotype of the white hair and old um, in both of them. They'd see it in one, but not the others. And it's made me think for a long time, if we saw it differently, because they saw their aging process differently. Um So it just seems like that is a, a really great example to me of the field of aging, and it illustrates um, several important things. so i'll start out by saying I'm an aging researcher literally i I do research and I'm aging, but I don't study aging per se. I study development um, and I study it personally in children and youth. Um, but my connection to aging is really as a lifespan developmental scientist. So I'm trained in the field of human development and family studies, and that's one of the first disciplines to really consider lifespan as a developmental phenomenon to be studied. And also, I think one of the first to really consider that we develop in context, and there's lots of things that impacted us at different points along the lifespan, but all have relevance. So I just thought maybe I would take the story to illustrate a couple of key points about what I'm calling a lifespan approach, and what we've learned about human development from this perspective, um, the first is really important. It's that development is continual. So I think you know, early when we first started thinking about gerontology in the field of geriatrics and and p- potentially development um, as a phenomenon, we had this idea that we kind of grow from birth to about age 21, 22, 25, and then we start this inevitable decline that it's all downhill um, until. You know we eventually die but i think what we know now is that there's tremendous growth potential across the lifespan um, that's informed by our earlier experiences but also really by our anticipation of future experiences right so we're on a a journey uh, throughout our lifespan um, that is a continual one that's marked by growth Um, it's also plastic and um, so again For a long time, we thought that older age was simply decline and there was nothing we can do about it. But we know that's not true. We can slow down and reverse declines in some areas. And indeed, some aspects improve with age. So we know it's continual. We know it's plastic. We also know it's individual. So again, thinking about my uh, Aunt Clara and Uncle Carl, um, they didn't age in the same way. For a long time, we thought that there was this thing that happens to you, you get old, and everybody looks the same. But we know that's not true. People age in different ways. Some age more quickly, some age more slowly. Uh, some uh, yeah, There's just many ways that it manifests, and that's based on heritability and the context in which we live our lives. So there is, again, plasticity, uh, continuity, but we do it in an individual way. But we're not islands unto ourselves, so we do it in the in context. So the opportunity to stay healthy longer and age more successfully is totally influenced by many experiences uh, that provide an individual's context. So the family we grow up and the community we grow up, the time in history we grow, um, our access to medical care and education, exposure to stress and toxins, all of these things create a context in which we age. And then finally, and the last point is that development and aging is complicated. So even within a person, we have different systems that age differently. So for example, we have a physical system, uh, how we walk, how we move, that may change differentially than our cognitive system and how we think and process information. Um, One might slow down earlier than another or vice versa. Um, So the whole experience of aging Um, is really improved by thinking holistically about all of the relevant factors in aging, our physical, our mental, our behavioral, our social, our emotional health as a complex system. And what we know about complex and healthy and good systems is that there's room to compensate and room to optimize. And that is absolutely 100% true about aging. Right. Right. Well, thank you for that grand
0: introduction to the field of aging. I don't think we could explain it any better than that. Um, But just to kind of break that down a little bit, maybe center in on some of those things you just said. The first one about how aging is plastic. So, you know, what that brings to mind for me is that obviously, like you said, constantly changing, but it's also never too late for you to pick up a new kind of habit. It's never too late for you to adopt a new kind of lifestyle. And that will influence the way that you age.
1: Absolutely, and we know this in interventions now that we see uh, with older adults. So um, interventions to improve memory, interventions to improve physical activity, uh, inter- interventions to um, improve social connectedness, which then have an um, you know impact on your social and emotional health. So um, so yes, it's a it's plastic, it's malleable. Not just when we're young, which is typically when we think we have this opportunity to, you know, learn new things and um, and and open our minds in new ways. That never goes away. And in fact, in some ways, um, you know, it's a, the aging process allows us to think about that in in new and creative ways. Um, so, at, you know, again, I was thinking about stories and and illustrations and um, one of my favorite cartoons uh, ever. Um, Is by somebody, Gary Larson. He used to draw the far side. And there's this amazing uh, one that he did that is so relevant to aging. And um, so picture a circus, uh, picture a tightrope walker, um, uh, you know, above a crowd of people getting ready to walk on the tightrope with a bar between their hands, but it's a dog. And the dog is thinking to himself, far above the hushed crowd, Rex was starting to walk. And all of a sudden he realized he's an old dog and indeed this was a new trick. And so <laughs> um, it, it, you know, it just illustrates uh, you know, in, in sort of a pithy way, but um, there, the opportunities to learn, to do something new, to um, improve what we're doing, they don't stop just because we're aging and we've reached a certain magic age where you can't do this anymore. This is a, this is a phenomenon that's with us throughout our lifespan and into our aging.
0: Right. And it's a hopeful message that I think sometimes gets a little bit lost just in, you know, common myths about aging. People have this picture of aging decline, of cognitive decline, physical decline. But... You know, I feel like if we spent more time focusing on that point of it, you know, you can start to incorporate new things that things will benefit you if you do them. Um, We might have people maybe more willing (laughs) to go out and go on a long walk or something like that, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think there is, you know, such a good point that you're raising because it's how do we get in our own way of embracing uh, what we can do, right? And it comes down to a belief or a, a myth or something that we've internalized that we can't, right? And, and I think it's not surprising probably that we have these myths and, um, you know, self-stereotypes about, you know, if you you look at aging jokes, and, you know, assumptions that they're old, they're aging, they need to go out on the, you know, uh, on the floating iceberg, um, we need to segregate aging from society, because they're no longer useful, and I'm saying these in harsh terms, but that's the underlying um, message of, of stereotypes, and we hear this our whole lives, and then we're, like, fearful, we get to this place of, um, oh my gosh, I'm now that person, and I can't do it now, because I'm at that place. So I think really interesting uh, research um, is in progress, some of it at CSU, um, utilizing, and through the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging, um, utilizing um, the power of thought to help motivate us to engage in in healthy behaviors by breaking down some of those stereotypes. So, yeah.
0: And, and, you know, what I've noticed too, granted, this is my first introduction to human development and family studies when I came to Colorado State and I took this this position. We didn't have that major at the school that, that I'm sure we had it in some form, but not in that particular major. And you know, it seems to me that that's where a lot of the researchers who are trying to debunk these myths about aging are kind of housed, is all within human development and family studies. And so I just appreciate having that perspective, because it's one that I hadn't heard really before in my studies.
1: Yeah. Well, I I, I don't know. I I think um, they were early adopters of this, like, approach to thinking about aging. But but by no means do I think they're the only ones now, right? So I think another fascinating aspect, um, and again, thinking about CSU and, and the incredible wealth of talent that we have here is the ability to think outside the box and utilize different models of aging to help inform Another model of aging, and so an example is the work that's being done, you know, using animal models and particularly dogs as models of aging. They have a shorter lifespan, but they suffer from similar diseases. You know all of this from the great work that uh, Dr. Earhart is doing and and her collaborators and uh, in and a lot of the work. But um, again, I think it's from the perspective of um, really thinking about those core issues of what's plastic, what can we mo- what can we um, um, Elevate as something that we can push the bad out as far as possible and keep the healthy and good as long as possible, um, and we can learn that from in a much quicker way from an animal study than we can from, you know, observing our own uh, aging processes. And so I think that's another brilliant thing that the um, the CSU Center is doing. And so I want to reverse a little
0: bit, um, go back to you know aging. It's plastic, it's continual, it's individual, all these things that you mentioned in the beginning. Um, when you're talking about the, the point of it's it's individual and it's based on, you know, all of these childhood experiences that you have and, and you know, as you get older, things that you experience. What's coming to mind for me is, you know, that, that saying that is also, I, th- I think, a famous book that the body keeps the score. Have you heard of this? Oh, no, but that's an awesome statement. Yep. Yeah. The body keeps the score of, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, and also, you know, adverse childhood experiences, you know, the ACE study that's, that's probably come around. And, and mm-hmm. so I know that you spend some time within lifespan development focused on children. So I'm just wondering, could you maybe expand on some childhood experiences and, and how those influence aging?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, um, Again, spend some thinking, you might be asking about that, spend some time uh, thinking about that, just even in, in my own work and how the field of what I initially started studying has really shifted to reminding us about what happens early stays uh, later. But so the work that I um, do is in the area of um, children and adolescent relationships, Um, you know, how they get along with peers, their parents, with, um, uh, you know, friends, and um, and then how the context of, you know, schools and families and experiences like trauma, um, you know, affect other other relationships that they haven't really come at it from a, um, a training perspective of attachment theory, and to just be very sort of a hundred thousand level view look at that is that that early um, infant parent relationship is really important in setting um, the ability for infants to feel secure. Uh, to feel loved, to feel bonded, to feel that they can trust the environment because there's somebody that's taking care of their needs. And they develop sort of an initial working model of what a relationship is like. Um, But once you start down a pathway, right, you're um, more likely to continue down that pathway than deviate unless something causes you to deviate. So that then maybe allows you to uh, um, start your first relationships with toddlers and peer friends, you know, preschool friends, from a perspective of confidence, of feeling secure, of feeling great. Um, and as we've started as a field studied what's gone, you know, now into sort of a lifespan approach, we know that people bring these early emotional um, experiences that they have in a very deep, intense way with an initial caregiver um, into their further relationships. And the more that you're in that relationship, the more it carries forward. So I guess the point about this is that, Early relationships matter because, for one, they might solidify something, they might change something, but they also set you in a trajectory um, by which it gets reinforced. And um, again, many things can happen that change it. We're all plastic, and uh, you know uh, the environment's important. But I, the core thing is there that things can can make a difference. You mentioned the ACE study. Um, you know, adverse child experiences. We know now from a lot of research. Um, two things one that um, those experiences do carry trauma forward um, and into adulthood and into the aging process unless there's an intervention um, that alters the course of that going forward. Um, and that intervention can be intentional, it can be accidental, but um, the point is like, there is that forward trajectory. I think we see the same thing with nutrition, that healthy nutrition starts your body. You mentioned the body's a scorecard. I imagine this is what the premise of the book is, that you know, healthy nutrition, healthy exercise, um, getting enough sleep, all those sorts of things that you do to keep your body healthy, set um, sort of a, um, a foundation for going forward, in two ways: one, making sure the foundation's good, but then setting up habits that reinforce that foundation as you go forward in life. And those things do matter. Um, uh, you know, uh, a silly example: I just had a um, a, a basal cell, uh, you know, thing taken off my face. Um, not because I don't wear sunscreen; I wear it religiously. But when I was very young, we didn't know about sunscreen. We knew about, you know, like being out in the sun and trying to burn to get a tan and those sorts of things. So um, did you add the baby oil as well? Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Had the bottle of Johnson and Johnson there, especially at the beach where the sun was the brightest. So, you know, um, yeah. Knowledge changes. And knowledge changes. We learn things. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So Uh, but the point is, right, those those early things do make a difference. And um, you know, maybe I'd have a whole lot more of those if I hadn't eventually discovered sunscreen.
0: So, I want to get into a little bit of, you know, you have this developmental scientist background. Mm-hmm. How how does that lead to what you do now? Which I think the first question should should kind of be what is it that you do? Explain to us what your roles are at CSU.
1: Yeah. So, I have been um my entire career in the field of human development and family studies first as you know a professor um, then um, actually um, a a stint at the um, university of florida in the um, college of medicine department of pediatrics thinking about child health policy uh, and then had the opportunity in 2006 to come to csu as the department head of human development and family studies um, and held that role uh, for 13 years um, and uh, during that time, uh, also took on the role of um, Associate Dean for Research and aso- then uh, and then following that, uh, the Associate Dean for Strategic Initiatives in the College of Health and Human Sciences. Um, and then two years ago, this is my second year, uh, became Dean of the college that I currently serve as the Dean of the College of Health and Human Sciences. And, um, you know, just have been... Um, ecstatic to be here at CSU, I, I love CSU, I love being at a land grant, I love our mission of thinking about education access, um, thinking about it from a lifespan perspective, that we don't just stop uh, learning once we get our college degree and and move on. Uh, so, how do we foster that as we go forward? Thinking about research and how we um, make an impact uh, that actually helps people and, and betters the human condition in some form. Um, so, our college mission is related to, um, you know, with a commitment to diversity and equity, improving uh, the the health and well-being of people, their communities and the environments in which they live. So I could not ask for a better, better job, more exciting one. But aging, you know, it's an important part of what we do. It infuses every, every uh, uh, one of our eight disciplines. Right. And a
0: title that you left off in that little ah. introduction that you gave, uh-huh. yes, is the one that i'm I'm really interested in, which is mm-hmm. you served as the interim director for the Center for Healthy Aging when it was being created. and you know, well before Dr. Earhart took over last year, well before I was in the picture. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if you can take us through the history of the Center for Healthy Aging? Because I understand that it had a whole life before it became a Center for Healthy Aging as well.
1: Oh, boy. Well, yes. So let me just... (laughs) And I'm I apologize for leaving that off because that was enough. No. one, but I did that in the context of one of my you know associate dean roles and um, had not set out to do that, but it emerged organically just because this center was such a great idea and had such momentum and we had opportunity to pull both those things together and and create the center. So personally invested in um, thinking about that. So I think um, important to know that there's actually a really long history in aging at CSU, well before there were centers. And if you look across the campus, as we did when we were thinking about this center, um, there's tremendous amount of aging research done in almost all the colleges, if not all, if you looked even um, more broadly than we did, but um, you know, at, at the time we wrote a proposal, and this would have been mm, 2011, 12, something like that, maybe 13. Um, you know, 55 people you could immediately identify across campus as having aging-related research, and um, and. You know it was kind of siloed um you know there were buckets there was some really great research going on in um in in areas but those areas weren't necessarily talking across college to each other so um so one of the the goals of really thinking about um the center uh, um, was to bring in a forum together for for collaborative interdisciplinary um, research, education and, and engagement and outreach about um, about aging. Um, but but it's fascinating to look at how embedded it is in the culture of CSU and and the great work that we're known for. Um, there also has been you know um, a long-term commitment in the College of Health and Human Sciences back when it was, the College of Applied Human Sciences, um, and also in the College of uh, Natural Sciences and Psychology. So again, Psychology and HDFS, I think, really were the main collaborators on this. So again, well before I got here, there was a Center on Aging um, that was developed. Um, It was, I think, Provisioned largely to be resources to the community and taking what we know about aging out to the community. Um, It was more of a virtual center. I don't even know if a space existed. I don't think so, but I can't say that for certain. But, you know, web resources and you know print materials and certainly um you know collaboration between certain faculty and and community agencies and so on so there was that history of the center and then in 2006 when we came um there was an effort to really build the center at that point so dr monford deal uh was hired um uh, at the same time we're we're partners um and uh so he was hired to direct it at that time and you know i think um one of the things that we didn't do was probably think about provisioning it well enough. So there were resources, uh, not the resources. There wasn't a space. So again, it was still in a virtual place. Um, in the the, I, I think the campus wasn't quite ready. At at that point. And so the center, he did a great job. Um, You know, the associate directors, uh, Christine Fruhoff for a while was associate director, Tammy Vakahazi in in CNS. So there was, you know, again, collaboration um, and support. But um, then we hit the challenging budget years of the economic downturn. And uh, because, you know, we just put it on hold. And so it it was a tough pill to swallow, but it was the right decision because then it gave us time to vision. Like what could we do? So one, one important activity that happened following that is really bringing people together across um, colleges, across departments and spending some time as a task force saying, what are the key areas in aging? What are our assets on campus? Where's our opportunity to really make a difference? Um, and so when the budget started you know, opening up a little bit, um, and we started to look towards, you know, growth again. Um, we had done this hard work to, like, really think about what it could be. Um, another strand uh, that kind of led up to that moment was this long-standing relationship with Columbine Health Systems. So Yvonne Myers, who's the uh, Health Systems Director at, at Columbine, uh, is an alum, actually, of HDFS. She got her degree there and was one of the first um, uh, advocates in working with our faculty to have a, a training program, a degree option um, uh, for students interested in aging. And so over the course of the years, again, this was before I got here, there was the development of an interdisciplinary studies program um, that. Uh, Involved several different uh, units. It's now a minor, so the, the program has uh, uh, continued. But Columbine was an incredible partner in helping to think through what that is. Yvonne taught for a while. They've they've supported it over the years with with funds um, and integrated internship opportunities for students in that program and even more broadly um, to work at Columbine and really have hands on experience. So. Um, So another thread in this story really is this just wonderful relationship with Columbine Health Systems, um, really supporting our journey um, to aging. So we're now at the point in the story where we have, you know, this great vision for the center, this wonderful relationship um, with Columbine, and along comes Bob Wilson, the CEO of Columbine Health Systems, and his wife who made this uh, game-changing gift to us that allowed us to build what you're in now, the Center for Healthy Aging, the Combine Health System Center for Healthy Aging at the CSU Health and Medical Center. Um, That ability to have a physical place that um, supports education, that supports community engagement, that supports research, that provides a nexus was the missing step I think we never had earlier. We did not have a place to call home and this gift um, was the place to call home. And it allowed us to do one more thing, which was to compete successfully for um, a cluster hire and uh, a term maybe that's not familiar but what it means basically is it's an intentional plan to hire faculty um, and could be staff um, around a a theme Um, and the theme that we were hiring around was healthy aging and what our um, our proposal was was to center a director as the center of that cluster hire to capitalize on the fact that we had all these hires that had already occurred, you know, 55 other hires that were doing aging work. That's a pretty big cluster, but we needed something to pull everybody together um, and then add a few more um, positions on it as we could, um, again, intentionally. So uh, that allowed us the ability to hire, um, to hire Nicole. So why I got the privilege of serving as um, the interim director was timing, basically. We had this you know one process with the building uh, the building was ready to come online, but we weren't quite ready. Uh, we hadn't hired a director yet, but we were ready to be open. There was energy, there was enthusiasm, and we just needed somebody to to help get that going so we could successfully um hire the director and so um we engaged in that process and uh, are thrilled beyond thrilled uh she's an amazing director uh that Nicole yes. Earhart took the position, so
0: yes. Yeah, she was hired in August of last year. No, August of 2019 at this point. And and that's kind of, you know, the rest is history in some ways. We're talking about the history now, but we really got off the ground when Nicole came into the picture. And and like you were saying, with the, the space offerings that we have now, having a, that physical location is something that we really want to emphasize and capitalize on that, you know, we have space for graduate student offices and we have a phlebotomy room and we have a lab um, mm-hmm. and, and conference space and classrooms. And so this this is, you know, a fully operational center for healthy aging that, host research studies and it hosts clinical trials. So, you know, that space was a real game changer. And having Nicole to push it all and make it all happen was also a game changer.
1: It is. And I have to say, there's brilliance in where it's located too, right? Because we have a lot Mm -hmm. of really great community engagement programs across campus. They're not all on the max line on the corner of college and prospect and the most easiest place to identify. So when you have, you know, older adults that you want to bring in for a program, everybody knows where this is. Like when we had the open house, when we opened the space, did not have to explain where the building was. And so that too is an incredible gift. So, um, just incredible gratitude to Columbine Health Systems uh, for their, you know, belief in this vision, for their support of the space, um, and for their just long, 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 long standing um, collaboration with the campus in supporting student internships and educational programs in research and so on. Um, And so thank you to Bob and Kitty and for their gift and to Yvonne for her leadership.
0: Yes. They are still great partners of ours. In Absolutely. Different endeavors that we, we have. And mm-hmm. um, I, one of the things that I, I wonder, be, because you definitely have more insight into this than I do, is if we can maybe go into what was happening thought wise at the administrative level when you're thinking of this global aging crisis that we're seeing happening. We're seeing, you know, older adults living for longer, maybe not living healthier. And this is something we're really going to have to focus on. How does CSU administration view that happening in the world and then see that we have all of these researchers that we can, we can, you know, cluster together to study this? Where is, what what is the importance of the investment there for CSU?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, There's a personal investment or should be for every single person really on the planet. Right. So um, one of the kind of interesting exercises I've seen um, Dr. Christine Fruhoff do when she talks to an incoming group of young students is say, who's aging? Like raise your hand if you're aging or something like that, and they all look at each other like they don't know what to do with that, um, and then they generally look at her and say you, um, and it's hysterical and very funny. Um, but it's the point. It affects all of us, right? As we've talked about, it's a lifespan phenomenon, and we're all confronting it. Um, you know, assuming that you know we don't die early, but um, but so it's a, this is an issue that that affects all of us. So I think in general, like it, it, it's an easy conversation to get anybody invested in because there's a personal relevance but from the perspective of you know university administration, I think um, you know this so fits in with our land grant mission of making a difference of engaging um, and doing work that. um, is interesting, it's it's provocative, it's groundbreaking, but it's towards a mission of making life better for people, for their communities and so on. Um, so I think there's a commitment to that. I think there's also a really great story. Um, when you look at organic investments in something, Elevating it to a level of importance. So if you consider that, you know, again, at that point, there were, you know, we could easily identify, and I'm sure there were more, 55 uh, researchers across campus in multiple departments, in multiple colleges, that starts to tell a story that something's important, right? And so Mm -hmm. when you start pulling that together, that becomes an a compelling story that oh maybe there's something going on here that we need to invest in and then when a donor comes along and says this is important um when um you're visioning and you're looking at um, so part of the, you know, I mentioned there was a task force that got together to vision what this is. Part of our work was looking at the the National Institutes on, on Health and what they're saying um, is important areas of aging research, talking to um, aging centers across the country and really consulting with people. So we we did a deep dive into national funders, foundations, and so on, and started to really have a compelling story of how those themes fit the assets and expertise we have here at csu not 100 percent but in these really in several core areas and um and it would help if we could coalesce in a center for healthy aging and do it so it's a it's a topic that affects all of us um all of our communities um it's nuanced by community or aging issues in rural areas are different than in urban areas but there's commonalities too and so um uh, you know i, I I think the administration, or I don't think they were incredibly uh, supportive of us going forward and really helpful. Um, The vice president for research, Alan Rudolph, uh, you know, he's been um a wonderful support deans of for of um you know the veterinary um medicine and biomedical sciences mark stetter jan nurger dean of natural sciences our former dean jeff mccubbin and now um currently like we are very supportive of this um and uh, endeavor because it elevates a conversation that's so critically important and is so relevant to what we do as a land grant and is so tied into what we already have established over time as priorities, and now we're elevating it into um, a broader umbrella, a bigger reach, a more strategic investment of time, right. talent, and treasure. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And you mentioned the land grant mission and, you know, helping the community here in Fort Collins. I, obviously, that was another piece that played into it, as you've mentioned, because, We are fortunate to live in a place where we have so many community programs also dedicated to aging outside of Colorado State, you know, happening here in Fort Collins, like the Larimer County Office on Aging, for example, or partnership for friendly communities. And so Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I, I think that community piece also plays a really transformative role of taking what we're doing at CSU and helping to disseminate it to
1: people outside of the university. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, again, you you look for opportunities and where things are growing and where the stars align and so on. While this has happened at CSU and in Fort Collins and Larimer County, the state is doing the same. So you mentioned the Partnership for Age-Friendly Communities. We have a similar designation in the state. It's an age-friendly state. Um, You know, so there's a lot of um, activity support. Um, collaboration around aging um, in the state, in the in the community, and so on. But Colorado's an interesting place to study aging too, because of our just g- general focus on health, right? And so, if we think our goal with successful and healthy aging is not really to make us live longer but to make us live well as long as possible. So really Im- improving what we call the health span, the, the amount of our lifespan that is healthy, um, where we're disease-free or disease-reduced, um, where we um, can live independently um, and age in place, all of those things. We stay connected to each other and we're socially connected and not isolated. The longer we can do that is a little bit easier in a, in a culture, in a state where we're thinking about that as an important thing too right? So maybe not from Mm -hmm. the framework of aging per se, but from staying healthy. And um, those things, obviously, as we've talked about, um, are very overlapping. Yes. And another
0: point to all of this, um, you talk about Colorado being an age-friendly state, drawing it back here to CSU, the center is now in the throes of trying to designate the CSU as an age-friendly university. You know, this This national global designation, I believe, through the Gerontological Society of
1: America. Association of Gerontology and Higher Education. So AGI is, uh, I had to think what the acronym was, but yeah. Um, Yeah, so that is another great, um, would be another amazing um, designation for the university. And if you think about it, like the work we've been doing is very congruent with getting that designation. So
0: yeah, the work we're doing and also trying to, you know, foster spaces that make, You know, older adult learners feel comfortable coming back to the university setting. And yeah, it's exciting to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've,
1: you know, guest lecture periodically. And again, going just back to my home discipline, we have a course in adult development and aging and guest lectured once uh, or more than once. But this one is standing out in mind that, um, you know, there was an older adult, uh, a couple, older uh, couple sitting in the in the back and talked with them during a break or at the end of class and um, just how engaged they were in, um, you know, being in college, like they loved it. And we, we've had older adults come back and complete their degrees and you know i think that lifelong learning i mean that's a key facet of healthy aging keeping keeping those yes. options open so i yeah. i believe we're going to be successful at that too
0: yeah lifelong lear- learning for older adults but also developing more interdisciplinary cutting edge programs for young students too Get them interested in being a part of this aging field and having a career in aging. That's another big priority for the center is to lead that charge.
1: Yeah, and I think, again, if you look at where jobs are, so this is, again, an intriguing uh, conversation because – well, just uh, again back to human development, and I don't want to uh, draw on it except I know it well, and yeah. um, and I think the the point is broader than HDFS. But you know, I think students come in and and they've experienced childhood, they've experienced adolescence, they've experienced schools and things like that. So that's the kind of career they think because they've had that experience. Um, and you know, some you know some students have been around grandparents and and older adults, but haven't really necessarily thought about careers in that area. So um, so that minor has been so successful in exposing students to that, who maybe did it because, oh, well, it would be a good thing on my resume. But then they take a class and just find out how fascinating like older adults are. They have right. you know amazing histories, each and every one of them. And um, I've heard this so repeatedly from students, like, I didn't know they were so interesting. And I love this field. <laughs> I, I, I don't wanna go back. I wanna make a difference. And coincidentally, that is a high-growth employment field, um, the field relating uh, to the aging industry. There are jobs there, and they're good-paying jobs. So, um, exactly. So it's a it's a good one for students to take a look at. So I'm pleased that you're doing that.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, Deanna Davalos said the same thing on her episode. She says in her capacity at the Aging clinic, whenever she has students that work with older adults, they always come back and say, you know, I don't know why I ever wanted to work with children. Like, what right. was I thinking? Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: Yeah. Yep. So. One of those transformational experiences for sure. Mm-hmm. So it looks like we're about rounding out our time here for a little bit. So I want to jump to a, a couple questions. Just Run by you. One of these, I ask every time somebody comes on the podcast. The other one, I'm curious. In your capacity as as dean, what is your favorite part of that role? You know, overseeing the College of Health and Human Sciences. You've got a lot of different things that you do. So, what's your favorite part of that role?
1: All of it. <laughs> like, I realize <laughs> that sounds, um, you know, uh, uh, a little. I don't know superficial or something, but I, I mean it honestly because I think what we are working on and doing so well is really trying to integrate all missions of what we do our education programs with our research with our engagement activities. We have amazing students, we have a lot of them across our majors where we're a popular college for undergraduates and um, have some amazing graduate programs, but we have these in like wonderful students who come and want to learn they're engaged with the material and and they want to do something with it they want to make a difference and so i love that inspiration and i would say the true the same is true about our faculty i think there's a certain type of um something that's in our dna that makes people that work at land grant um, institutions come to land-grant institutions and want to stay here. And CSU is an amazing uh, place to support that That need to integrate the work that you're doing with a purpose that engages the community in which you're doing that work for. Um, so I, I love that. Um, I will say it's been an interesting journey starting as a dean during the COVID pandemic. I <laughs> uh, had a yep. few months where <laughs> there was no COVID and then all of a sudden there was COVID. Um, so I, I'm, I, I'm not sure uh, how that will, you know, change. And and once we come back and we're past the pandemic, but I think the core thing is that has just continued to inspire me is just the brilliance and resilience of the people associated with our college and all that we do. And I say this most broadly, because I think this is true across CSU too, um, that uh, the opportunities and just the commitment to keep keep going, because there's more ideas, there's more work to do. um, That's inspiring. So all of those things I love.
0: Yes, me too. <laughs> I love working in a university setting. It's always inspirational to see new research happening that is eventually going to benefit people outside of the university. So, yep.
1: And students yeah. that come with the question that makes you think about something in a different way that inspires right. that next set of questions. So, um, we're privileged, um, yes. really, to be in the professions that we are in, and to be here, especially. Yes. Okay, last question. All right.
0: Same question I ask everybody. What is your best advice for healthy aging from your perspective of what you research?
1: Um, so I don't know if I'm going to say it so much as from what I research is um, what I think about in supporting my work and the work of others and really reflecting on this, um, you know, growth in our knowledge uh, over time about aging and and how we think about it. And I guess I would sum it up by saying uh, maintaining a positive outlook on aging. I think we've talked about this before, but the power of cultural stereotypes that lead to messages that aging is something that's immutable. It's negative. It's to be feared and avoided. Um, But we know from the work that we're doing, from the tremendous knowledge um, and more and more emerging each and every day, um, that there are incredible ways that we can enhance our journey, that we can extend our health span, that we can live successfully and meaningfully. So we have much to learn from those ahead of us on that journey, much to teach those who follow us. So I guess I would summarize that positive thing with maybe advice that probably everybody on your show might give: um, is to enjoy healthy nutrition, to stay physically active, to exercise, to get enough sleep, to stay socially connected. Um, to continue to learn and challenge your mind. Um, I would say this is good advice for healthy aging, but for everybody on whatever step they are along the way, it's good advice in the moment. So that's my advice.
0: Wow. Thank you, Lisa, for this last hour. I've Um, really enjoyed this conversation. Me too, Hannah. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Center for Healthy Aging at CSU. Remember to follow us on social media at CSU Healthy Aging and visit our website at healthyaging.colostate.edu. We will see you next time.